0: Thank you for downloading this podcast, my name is Richard Rucroft. You're listening to Rusty Microphone. The website, of course, is rustymicrophone.com. Walter Russell, the man who tapped the secrets of the universe. This podcast is going to be about him and his life and his contribution to the world. I have a guest who we're going to speak with in a moment. Her, uh, she only wanted to be identified as Jane. Many people who are asked to do podcasts don't want to have an internet presence. And so uh, Jane, of course, is, uh, has a very important job, and she has been to India several times. She has uh, talk, um, talked to Leo Russell, the wife of Dr. Walter Russell, and been to Swanona and studied the course materials extensively, and I know no one else who uh, knows as much about the work and the lives of Walter and Leo Russell as Jane does. So in a moment, we're going to have um, an interview with Jane via Skype. Let's say that Walter Russell was, in fact, the man who tapped the secrets of the universe. He, in his earlier years, had a severance of body and consciousness and walked and talked with God for many days and um, God gave him the secrets of the universe and I think as soon as people hear the word God they get scared away but this is the merging of science and religion. Science and religion come together in the teachings of Walter Russell, the universal one the notion that um, matter and planets, solar systems, are all created in a certain, uh, very, very accurate way, uh, through the wave, through thought waves. He says that it's a thought wave universe. And we're going to talk about that more in detail. Walter Russell was certainly certainly an amazing man, and I'm not going to spend too much time Uh, talking about um, his life, because the discussion with Jane gets into that quite a bit. And uh, this is certainly one of the great contributors to the uh, knowledge, today's knowledge and future knowledge of mankind. Uh, He certainly goes down as one of the great uh, people that uh, seekers of knowledge would certainly want to learn more about and find out about. Let's uh, go now to the interview with Jane. Here it is. Jane does not want to have her full name or identification uh, um, on the Internet, but she knows so much about uh, Dr. Walter Russell's work and has such a tremendous background. Um, I'd like to introduce Jane. So how are you today, Jane?
1: Not bad. Thank you.
0: (laughs) So you have studied walter russell's work and studied it and studied it for, for many many years and you're you're the person that i think of when when we're um wanting to get some insight into this wonderful man this man who did in fact walk and talk with god for oh um how many days was it do you remember
1: in terms of his enlightenment you mean
0: when he had that big uh, separation the big, from
1: the big the huge enlightenment was yeah. 49 days yeah but he had he had enlightenments every 7 years from the time he was 7 and usually those enlightenments lasted uh, several days up to a week and um he... yeah.
0: i just remember that there was one big enlightenment but I yeah. didn't realize there was a whole, sort of like uh, an earthquake. When an earthquake happens, there's aftershock. So this is probably the, similar to that, isn't it, like in terms of comparing it to that?
1: What The only thing I can understand is that he needed all of the other years in preparation to be able to handle the 49 days. And every enlightenment... Um, increased his capacity or capability of being able to receive the forty nine day enlightenment
0: was was it a series of small ones leading up to the big one then is that the way it worked
1: yes it was every seven years oh. he, um he it, luckily his parents um considering the period of time because it was in the eighteen seventies I think he was born in eighteen seventy one
0: he died in sixty three didn't he yeah uh- I
1: believe he died in 63, yeah. Yeah. Um, His parents just let him wander away um, and he needed time alone to deal with what he had to deal with and every time he had an enlightenment he seemed to come back with a new capability so he's he's so gifted, you know, he wrote music, he played music, he conducted music, he um, was a great artist
0: he was considered he, had, he was considered Leonardo da Vinci of our modern times, wasn't he
1: yes his his accomplishments are unbelievable, and what's surprising is Americans are so proud of America, and they are very, very proud of all of the great people that have ever been American, and so few Americans today are aware of who Walter Russell is, which it's, is...
0: Isn't it amazing how how um, how he's off the radar scope, basically, right?
1: Incredibly amazing. Incredibly amazing. Uh, I am Even as an artist, he is not known. It's unfortunate, in, in my view, and perhaps it is um, meant to be. Uh, I think part of it was the science was controversial. Um, it practically kicks out every current Day theory and um, maybe that's why because people don't want to change they don't want to have to develop and grow and see things in a different way um, although I do believe he will become very famous again at some time mm. in the future
0: yes I think his work will surface it will uh, become more important in the uh, ages to come uh, I don't know very much about what's going to happen in the future other than the fact that I sense something is going to happen. Walter Russell was the, not only the man who tapped the secrets of the universe, but he was also the man who, as you mentioned, I think uh, invented figure skating. I, if I remember correctly, he either invented or had something to do with the creation of expressways, um, motorways. Uh, he invented high-rise apartment building, no, high-rise buildings from the sense that being able to go up very high. If, correct me if I'm wrong on any of these.
1: I, I don't think he invented high-rise buildings.
0: Okay, but he had—he was an he architect, wasn't he?
1: Certainly did. He designed uh, many buildings. Uh, he was—he had not—he uh, was not a—he didn't have a degree in architecture, but he was a great designer. So he would hire architects to iron out all the building code that was was required. But he started designing buildings because, as an artist, he was annoyed at how little light there was in an apartment, Uh. and he couldn't have enough light to paint properly. So the first, I believe, one of the first buildings he ever designed was the Hotel Des Artistes in New York City, Um, and it was designed so that every apartment received a great deal of light, and it was designed with artists in mind. That building is still very famous today, and a lot of very famous people have lived in it, including Walter. Walter lived there and uh, did a lot of his artwork there, in- including some of his sculptures.
0: Um, well, let's talk about the, um, the um, main thrust of the science of Dr. Walter Russell. By the way, he had an honorary doctorate from a university later on, didn't he? Uh, in in uh, recognition of the tremendous work that he's contributed to the world, so he he was in fact a doctor, but um, the main thing that God gave him when he had his uh, experience walking and talking with God, as they say, is the um, the theory. No, well, I can't. Say, I call it the theory of the wave, but it's Walter Russell's wave, and the the main um, part. Of uh, the, the teachings of Walter and Leo Russell is that it's a thought wave universe, and uh, basically everything that happens in in our existence in this reality happens because of thought. And philosophers will say, "Well, whose thought? Well, God's thought, obviously, or the Universal One." There was one book that Walter Russell wrote called "The Universal One," and. Uh, In that book, he has um, contained uh, the bulk of the science of how to prove the existence of God scientifically. And being a thought wave universe, Walter Russell did painting after painting, illustration after illustration of something called the wave. And the wave, um, if you'll just permit me to talk for a moment about that, my understanding of it anyway... Uh, is that the wave is uh, teaching us how anything that exists comes into reality, comes into existence. And I have to go not only by Walter Russell's diagrams, but a a dream that I had years ago about the cubes. Because Walter Russell's science involves um, squares and circles, and certainly cubes and spheres is the... Um, main thrust of it, the geometry of how the wave works, goes something like this, if I, if I do it correctly. Um, out of the corners of cubes, or the... Um, I'm not sure if it's the corners of cubes, or the um, uh, planes of cubes, comes um, two closing vortexes. And if you can imagine an atom, or the Earth, and um, a tornado... A tornado is something that has a very large, slowly moving one end, and as it gains power and momentum, and it becomes smaller and smaller at the other end, it has tremendous force and speed. Well, Walter Russell always said that there's another tornado opposite to that, that we don't actually see. And in in his science, uh, as God thinks, then God thinks two closing vortexes closing from space somewhere. And it, if you think in the microcosm, you're, you're talking the the uh, atomic world. If you think in the terms of, of uh, our Earth, then it would be more in an astronomical or uh, galactic sense if he even described how galaxies and planets and suns came, come into existence through the closing of uh, these two vortexes, which... Uh, one would think in Euclidean logic, well, how would the two vortexes ever come together? And how would they ever know each other is there? And how would they find each other? And this is the great uh, mystery of how the universe works, because uh, here we are, we're human beings, we have uh, what we call opposing thumbs or opposing digits. And uh, the Russellian, uh thinking is that Basically, not only does God think, but we also, as um, uh, sons of God, or or, uh, we have a spark of divinity within us, we have closing uh, digits as well. With our little hands, we go around and we can do things. Well, in Walter Russell's wave, the closing vortexes basically uh, find each other and they start uh, accumulating the ether or some kind of matter that is in the, all of the ether and by bringing these um, particles together or thoughts together um, they, the two vortexes at high speed and high pressure uh, begin to come in contact with each other and, and produce in the small case it would be the atom and in, in uh, the our earth's case it would be the earth so if you can imagine our planet uh, with two closing vortexes, one coming from the North Pole, the other coming from the South Pole, creating tremendous pressures within the planet and bringing our Earth actually into creation. Um, and the once that that first half of the wave has taken place, the, the return back to the corners of cubes, uh, if you want, I was a little... Uh, unsure whether it was the corners of cubes or the planes of cubes because I've read both. Um, the vortexes form rings going out like the rings of Saturn, the equatorial rings which uh, uh, go out into space as they go out into space they uh, begin to slow down and uh, eventually we they get to the point where you um, they dissipate and two returning, vortexes go back to the point of origin which is the you want to call it the matrix remember we, we had that show called the matrix the movie very similar in concept and uh, so walter russell's teachings basically is that this wave that comes in uh, into existence when god thinks or when we think and since we are co-creators with god in our little realm I suppose the, uh, the notion that human beings are running around on the surface of the planet making cities and stuff like that could be compared to um, oh, a beaver that builds a dam or um, some insects uh, that build uh, little holes in the ground and build their, their, their homes. Uh, a lot of creatures in existence, a lot of human beings and, and animals and insects and so forth are capable to create and build things and do things in sort of a parallel notion to uh, God's thinking in a way. So that's my um, understanding of Walter Russell's wave. It's very, very complex and it's also very, very simple. And like I had a dream about the um, the corner of the cubes, gazillions and gazillions of cubes in my dream larger cubes smaller cubes and the take home from my dream was that um and i think the dream was supportive of understanding his work actually was that uh all of creation is mathematically has no error in it it is so precise in every aspect that it has uh uh, all of these cubes all over the place and matter can spring into existence from these cubes all that's required is thought and um, I'd like to pass it over to you To, to any thoughts on that? I know you've have had um, you say it was a vision as well about the wave I and mean, you told me one time a long time ago that that you had a vision of the wave
1: Yes, I thought that you did a nice job explaining that. Um, I'd like to explain the same thing in words that are comfortable to me. Um, the way that I understand it is that the sun, well, let me back up. There is a black hole for every single sun. Space is not empty and um, although a lot of people, including scientists, think that space is empty—that is, the space in between suns—it um, it is full of matter. And what happens when a sun is created is that the black hole is the sort of the evacuated space. In other words, all of that very that matter that is um, spread for millions of miles, um, very, very thinly, for lack of a better way of describing it, gets compressed. And it is the two vortexes um, coming together in a a spiral motion. The two spirals uh, come together at their apex and at the place where the two spirals collide, the circular motion creates the sphere of the sun it's incredibly intense pressure incredibly high speed and if you wind up light enough it becomes visible so all of the things that are invisible have not been wound up enough for us to see it the sun the sphere of the sun spins a lot. I don't think a lot of people realize that suns spin and it is a perfect sphere for millions of years. But it's gyroscopic motion, this spinning motion, just like a child's toy, which is the spinning top. After millennia, um, the spinning top is no longer a perfect sphere it starts to oblate. When it starts to oblate, the axis starts to tip. Um, in any case, the, the the extreme gyroscopic motion of the sun starts to throw off matter at the equator, the equator of the sun. Um, it's just light waves that are thrown off, and they are not... Um, compressed enough at first to be visible but eventually what happens then is a planet is born at the equator the planet is minute in comparison to the hugeness of the Sun but for us not so small and that planet at first does not rotate so when you think of Mercury Mercury still does not rotate It has the same face of the planet facing the sun, all in its circular motion around the sun. And right now, the uh, axis of the planet is perpendicular. But as time goes on, Mercury will move away from the sun. As it moves away from the sun, it will begin to rotate because of its rotation and let me back up a little bit. The enormous pressure that comes into the sun from the poles uh, is what holds the sun together. Gravity is not an internal force pulling inwards. Gravity is an external force compressing um, from the south pole and from the north pole. And that is what holds the sphere together.
0: That's exactly right. That's the um, um, centripetal force. Everybody thinks gravity comes from within, and it doesn't. And the the two uh, forces are one going in and the other coming out, right?
1: As far as I can understand, both of them are compressing inwards.
0: Yeah, both of the, the closing spirals, but or then... the
1: Yeah, and then at the east and west equator, if you want to call them east and west poles, but you can call it the equator... Um, the compression is so intense at the core of the sun um, but still um, there are there is expansion also at the equator which is what makes it a sphere and it's it's the expanding motion is at the equator.
0: basically um, the planets are born of the sun the sun gives birth to planets right
1: right? And then the planets do, the orbits do expand. It takes millions of years. That's why scientists are not aware of it from observation. Um, As the planets move away from the sun, they begin to rotate. Then due to their rotating motion, they no longer stay at the equator. They start uh, going sort of dipping above and then dipping below as it circles the sun. And um the planets also become larger
0: um, yeah, and eventually they they have a life uh, cycle as well, and as they get out uh, in, in eons of time, they get out toward the uh, um, more outside orbits, they start into a retrograde process, and Walter Russell describes that, right
1: he describes it in great detail yeah it's um it's fascinating that the creation. Of everything, is right there in front of our eyes. All you have to do is look at any solar system. All body cells are created the same way, and all elements are created the same way. And it's all gyroscopic motion and the movement of spirals. I'm not. It's been a long time since I've tried to put my understanding of the Russell science into words, and I'm a bit rusty. <laughs> um, oh, rusty I, microphone.
0: I, you know, there, there we go. Yes.
1: Very good, very good venue. (laughs) Um, Go ahead, Dan. What I understand from uh, Dr. Russell's uh, work is that at one time, uh, Earth was in the position of Mercury. As millennia go by, it moves into an ever-expanding orbit uh, until it reaches the position where water and fire can exist on the planet and then life forms. Uh, Apparently, Mars used to be in the position where Earth is now. And when Mars was here in the position where Earth is, it did have life. And uh, that is one of the parts of how how life is generated from suns. And um, the planet has to be in a certain position so that fire and water can exist before life can um, occur the way that we understand life, so I think that when people do eventually get onto Mars, they will may find some evidence of civilization. It's hard to say because it was so many millions of years ago it's hard to know what might be able to survive that many that many millions of years.
0: Yes, can I just um change gears slightly, still keeping with the science, though, um, the octave system. Walter Russell described not only the wave, but um, a system of uh, nine octaves. Actually, some of his writings talked about 10 octaves, and some talked about nine octaves. And when I looked at the diagrams, I looked at the first and last octaves, and I thought, okay, well, there's really only half of an octave here. So it probably was the case that the tenth octave was really a, re- a half-repeat of the first octave. What do you right. th- think about that?
1: That's what I understand as well. Originally, mm-hmm. he called it ten, and then the more he worked with it, he decided it was really nine. But w- and the ninth octave is as far as it can go before matter uh, returns to um, a plane, um, in other words, no vibration, and yeah. then things begin again at octave one. So um, the way that I think the planets can be somewhat of a model for the nine octaves as well, because um, Mercury as a planet is very small, and Mercury uh, sorry Venus is a little larger, and then Earth is a little larger, and so on. And um, it's because of the motion. Um, the planets start to spin faster uh, as they go away from the Earth. And then at some point, the, um, the north and south poles give way to the east-west poles. In other words, the extreme compression that holds the planet together In other words, um, the compression from a spiraling inward from the north and south poles. As time goes on, planets start to oblate. And if you look at a picture of Jupiter, it is no longer a sphere. It's flattened at the poles. It's begun to oblate. And rings are being thrown off at the equator as the planet begins to disintegrate. However, it still has so much cohesion and it's spinning incredibly fast. It will take many, many more centuries before the east and west um, poles completely take over and there is nothing left in the center, only a ring. And you can see evidence of that by looking through a telescope and looking at various stars. When stars have totally disintegrated, they are just, there's only a big ring left. And that's when the sphere is completely gone and it's starting to reduce down to a plane. And I understand that blue in the middle means that it's still in its expanding stage and red in the middle means it's beginning to compress again. Uh, Dr. Russell Mm -hmm. um, laid out all of the elements in the nine octaves according to their level of compression. And so one one
0: would, uh, the first octave would be not very much compression and 10 would be lots of compression or nine would be lots of compression. Is that the way it works?
1: No, I believe that um, the fourth octave and the fifth octave are the highest compression. Okay,
0: So it's in the center. That's correct. Yeah. Okay.
1: And so the first three octaves are not visible. They're still gases. Um, Compression is beginning, but for our vision, it's not visible to us. Uh, It starts to become visible to us in the fourth octave and increasingly visible then. And um, what happens is the spiralic motion and the intensity of that motion is extremely generative and produces complete spheres at the apex of the two vortices coming together. And... um, When we get up toward the sixth or seventh octave, and I'm afraid I don't know this very well, um, the east-west poles of the sphere start to take over. However, the elements are spinning at such an extremely high speed that... um, Let me back up a little bit. The compression to make a sphere is so incredibly intense that its unwinding process takes, um, well, from a planet's point of view, um, millions of years. And even from an element's point of view, it takes an awful long time. And, um, but as the east-west poles start to take over, the, the expansion is incredibly fast and takes a long time for unwinding. So the eighth and ninth octaves in particular are an, uh, are elements that are unwinding at an incredibly, incredible speed. And, and is, uh,
0: is that not where um, the atomic elements are located in one of the higher, I think it is the highest octave, if I remember correctly, but. Uh,
1: yes, I think that, well, strontium yeah. is a, very dangerous element it's in the eighth octave it's not in the ninth
0: yeah i'd like to tell our listeners that um walter russell from his um uh diagrams of the octave system and uh how the universe works came up with um uh, a prediction of certain elements that were later discovered Yes. And uh, one of those elements were radioactive. I'm not a radio uh, radio uh, radioactive type uh, engineering person, so I don't really understand uh, all of this very much. but according to Walter Russell's book, Atomic Suicide in particular, he was saying that at at that uh, rapid spinning, he called it a radioactive stepping down. And uh, in the book, Atomic Suicide, which he wrote to warn the world of the problems of radioactivity, he uh, suggests very strongly, first of all, I was going to say that they, didn't they create the atomic bomb as a result of his discovery of one of the atomic elements? Am I correct in saying that?
1: I believe um, uranium. But but he,
0: he he was never given credit for it.
1: No, well, he did create the atomic bomb. No, no, I it's never,
0: I never said that. No, no, but they, they carried it forward based on something that he discovered, and they sort of ran with it, right?
1: I, I believe he, he knew about the existence of uranium. Yeah. And uh, they read they renamed it. He had a different name for it originally.
0: Yes, and um, I, I believe there are. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there are still uh, atomic particles that he says should be there that no one's discovered yet. Is that correct?
1: As far as I know.
0: Yeah, but maybe they have by now. We don't know about it. But, um, I'm
1: not sure. I do think there are scientists that are paying attention to his work. Yeah. Um, I know that he gets quoted in books and stuff. Um,
0: yeah. So basically, that's all. basically the atomic aspect of this is Walter Russell... Uh, warned people all of his life to um, stay away from from these sorts of radioactive materials that they're dangerous. He says he talks about the radioactive stepping down. He talks about uh, how these particles, when they're in any kind of a man-made container or even in, in natural rock, they they tend to um, break down anything that's around them. And when I hear of uh, them dumping radioactive waste in the ocean inside metallic containers, I know without having any knowledge of the subject myself that based on Walter Russell's work, that these containers will eventually over a period of time crack and break down. And a lot of the uh, submarines that have uh, you know slipped uh, to depths that are no longer accessible and have these uh, uh, nuclear reactors going in them um, those things are just going to deteriorate and break loose. There's basically there's no way you can keep radioactivity in, imprisoned. It will always break loose, and the normal and natural place for for radioactive materials is deep under the ground, and it has a tendency even to break apart rock. And so when I hear of Yucca Mountain and uh, the notion that they're storing huge, huge amounts of radioactive waste in this uh, underground mountain, yes, it's the correct place for it because it's deep underground, but it will also break loose over a period of time, break loose from whatever containers it's in. What, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yes, I sure do. Um, the way that I, first of all, I want to say that the Russells say that everything seeks equilibrium. In other words, everything strives to become the same. And a very simple um, demonstration of that is a story that Russells themselves use in their home study course. If you have a block of ice at one end of a room and you have an extremely red hot iron at the other end of the room, a current will be created between the two. The block of ice will strive to become as hot as the iron the iron will strive to become as cool as the ice, and between the two of them, um, the ice will cool. The will warm up, and the iron will cool down until an equilibrium is reached. This is also um, the way that Dr. Russell talks about work in the universe. Work in any way, um, scientifically or in any other way, is when there is a um, something unequal work is created uh, because equilibrium has to happen. In other words, balance has to be made. So the reason I'm bringing that up is that for most, all of humans, um, almost all of the elements that are in our bodies are generally in the fourth and fifth octave. There are trace elements, um, very, very minute quantities of elements that are in the seventh octave, like very trace amounts of copper and zinc but very small. Almost everything we ingest and everything that we engage with and interchange with in our lives as humans on the earth is in the fourth and fifth octave. Um, That's how how our bodies are composed largely and that's the air we breathe uh, largely all in the fourth and fifth octave. the winding down process of the upper octave elements for example uranium or strontium or plutonium unwinding at extremely high speeds because everything strives to become alike if you put a person next to a piece of uranium this extremely fast unwinding process that's happening with the uranium will cause our cells which are also spinning to spin faster because everything strives to become the same. And the death process in the human form is unwinding. So when we're young, we have a great deal of compression. As we age, we expand, we get taller. But our cells are still spheres until we reach about the age of 40, uh, maybe between 40 and 50, depending on a person's vitality. And uh, af- after that, um, we age. In other words, our cells become more oblate. And no matter how much exercise we do, you can't prevent the oblation of cells until you know, even very trim people will become a little bit wider and a little bit shorter as cells oblate. If you expose yourself to uranium enough, or even permanently, the unwinding process is sped up much, much faster than what would be normal in the fourth and fifth octave and a person will die. So um, everything in nature has its proper place in terms of the elements. Uh, The higher octave elements uh, belong deep inside the earth where the compression is extremely great, like at the core. And what the job of strontium, plutonium, and the other higher octave elements is, is to blast that extremely highly compressed rock and um, create soil out of it. it, ta- it can, the compression is so great down there that it can contain the very, very highly expansive uranium material. Let's just stick with uranium rather than repeat so many of them. When we bring uranium up to the surface of the Earth, uh, there is no containment there. It does not have the same degree of compression. So what happens is uh, the the expansion at the equator becomes greater and faster. And this is one of the reasons why the weather patterns are becoming so um, peculiar and wilder. Um, Scientists think it's just carbon house. Is it called carbon
0: carbon gases? Yeah, carbon gases.
1: Gases. Um, And but the thing is that they don't understand that it's happening faster than any of their scientific models explain. It's because we brought these higher octave elements um, from deep out of the earth up to the surface, and it doesn't matter what kind of container you put it in. Um, Lead uh, is. In the old, um, in the tenth octave, one I know lead is. uh, Oh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Lead is a ninth octave element, but I believe in the newer charts it's considered an eighth octave element. But because it's so close to the apex of the the um, highly the great the greatest compression, it's very solid. Yes. And um, so they are thinking that they can contain these radioactive wastes in lead but it what is going to happen is the lead itself will lose its cohesion much faster than it normally would because of the the speed at which the higher octave elements are unwinding and then it's the lead itself will be moving out of the eighth octave into the ninth octave and unwinding at an equally high rate it's extremely dangerous yes. the earth itself will try to keep balance will try to prevent itself from exploding um... and what i've understood is that in fact we will have sinkholes mountain ranges will come up above the surface because the earth is always going to try and make balance in other words in order to get that radioactive material deep inside the earth it might sink continents below deep into the ocean to prevent to keep the cohesiveness of the earth. I'm not explaining that as well as I would like to. Um, Sinkholes happen as well. Um, Also sinkholes are an adjustment to anything that might rise. The Russells talked about continents may sink, mountains will rise, um, volcanoes will increase, and the extreme weather patterns will be a result of using any of these higher octave elements above the surface of the earth where the pressures are not sufficient to contain it. I believe that one of the reasons why the so they we're getting colder weather at the equator is because the earth is attempting to contain itself with cold.
0: I know Walter Russell talked that uh, in his book Atomic Suicide that he was very much worried on his deathbed or at the time of his death that it was too late and he said uh, he thought it might be too late because um, and he described the the mechanism how the earth's oxygen would be depleted through this process and I don't really remember the mechanism anymore but he was very much concerned that down the road in times in in later times there was no time frame given but he was concerned that the Earth's oxygen would be depleted and it would be caused by the um, nuclear uh, usage.
1: Yeah, I know that there, there's <coughs> less oxygen in the ocean than there used to be. Mm-hmm. That may be why a lot of whales and dolphins are dying. They, they can't get enough oxygen.
0: One of the things about whales and dolphins beaching themselves were. Uh, I think, is the the fact that the uh, military, U.S. military, has put uh, uh, sonar devices all over the oceans. And, I mean, if you're uh, a, an ocean uh, creature, wouldn't you be a little perturbed of that?
1: Well, they're so sensitive to vibration <clears throat> that they communicate with each other. Yeah. I'm sure, the sonar is very disturbing to them.
0: But you talked about balance. And in all of Walter Russell's teachings, and Leo Russell as well, we sometimes forget about her, balance was the main thrust of what they taught. And one of the examples that they talked about was if a planet in our solar system moved even one inch, that all of the other planets would adjust themselves to compensate for that, so that everything remains in balance. And you talked about the Earth trying to keep itself it, it in balance as well. And um, this really hits home at the notion, the underlying notion, of it being a thought wave universe. Because how could um, atomic particles readjust themselves, or planets readjust themselves, unless they knew something about what was happening to all of the other bodies in the heavens? And that pre- uh, that presupposes pre- that we have no- all knowledge about everything, and not only do it do we have knowledge about anything that we want to uh, investigate? Because uh, Leo Lea Russell remembers she put her hands on the pyramids one time when she was younger, and uh, what came to her mind was uh, all of the history of that pyramid. So,
1: um, I want to just uh, interject something. I believe that the compression, uh, the north and south pole of the sun, is in fact affecting the entire solar system. The vortexes that keep the sun as a, as a sphere are much larger than the sun itself. They expand way out into space. And I believe the entire solar system is under the influence of those compressing vortexes that uh, make the sun a sphere. I don't think that each each planet is individual. I believe it's all part of the same um, compressive force that holds together the sun. Although there are compressive forces individually at each planet, but anything that affects anything. um, If you move... If you make a space, something moves in to fill it. You can't have a vacuum unless you build a spe- specific container that will allow a vacuum to happen. But in nature, it won't happen.
0: That's right. So That's
1: right. I think that all matter affects all matter. If any matter is adjusted, all the matter compensates.
0: Yes. Balance is, is key. And um, in. Um, well, it's
1: all one big system, too. Yeah.
0: Yes. Not only with the science, but the way we interact, because um, uh, Leo Russell was, to me, uh, a balancing portion of the Walter and Leo Russell team, and uh, Leo Russell taught the love principle and balance, and uh, I I really think that... uh, I've noticed in my own life, too, some of her teachings were that you should pay attention to, to your mate. And uh, when, when my wife starts telling me something, I, I, real, I realize the lessons of uh, Leo Russell, and I think, okay, I better pay attention to this. And you know what? Uh, we've been married for quite a number of years now. Every time my wife has told me something that was significant, uh, it turned out to be she was right. And uh, if I had have done it my way, I would have been in probably doing it wrong. But uh, uh, Leo Russell taught the love principle. And she taught in business, uh, you don't just go into business to receive, 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 and get money and get rich. You, you go into business with the idea of trying to give something to the world, a product or a service or something. And your focus should be on how you're going to benefit other people and the rewards will come she said uh, uh, as long as you um, focus on uh, providing something of value to people then the rewards will come in other words you will be successful you'll monetarily uh, the success is not really related to um, the, the notion of greed it's related to how well you've um, given out the love. Love is given out in terms of, uh, you know, building a better mousetrap or having a, a better business, serving people, and the return for that, the balancing portion, is your reward. Um, and uh, Leo Russell was talking to a little girl, and uh, she asked the little girl what she wanted to be when she grew up, and the little girl said, "I want to to marry a prince." And that's when Leo Russell said, well, you'll have to make yourself into a princess.
1: Yeah, she um, also said that um, people who uh, are looking for opportunities um, and they want to be introduced to, uh, you know, people who sort of have a higher social status or, you know, unreachable because they're so famous, she said that, you know, uh, you didn't really need to worry about it. If you invented something or created something or offer something of great value, those people will come to you.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah.
1: And uh, not to worry about meeting a person of um, y- you know who's very difficult to meet. You just keep working on the product or the service that you're offering, and it will happen.
0: Yes. Um, Many, you were telling me at one point many of the students of Walter Russell um, weren't too fond of, well some of them weren't too fond of Leo and I have to say that I have always been very very fond of Leo she has influenced Walter Russell's work in many respects Uh, one of the respects that I remember was he he changed the science and in his original diagrams he depicted the two polarities as plus and minus And Leo came along and said, well, why should the female principle be minus? The females are not minus. And so he changed the designation on some of his diagrams to reflect uh, uh, plus on both sides and plus plus in the middle where the two vortexes meet. And um, I thought that was interesting. It may have made some of his diagrams a little more hard or harder to understand than what possibly would have been otherwise. But the contributions of Leo Russell are uh, actually very, very important. Uh, One of the things she talks about was the history of men, how they've treated women. And I have to say that I totally agree that um, we have hundreds and hundreds of years of maltreating our women, especially in certain parts of the world. It's very important to allow uh, women to. I sh- that's very chauvinistic to allow women to. I mean, I shouldn't even talk like that. I, I mean, women have to be equal to men. I mean, there's absolutely no uh, if-ends or buts about it. And Leo Russell was very um, uh, insisting that uh, that women have uh, a role to play in all aspects of uh, human activity. So.
1: I, she said something that I thought was uh, very interesting. She said that the societies that have had made the most progress are the societies where the women are most equal. And the societies that are the most backward are where the women are the least equal. Yes. I think that's yeah. very telling. And uh, it is the time for uh, women to be recognized as equal to men. Women tend to look at things differently than men. Biologically, they are different, uh, but they are equal. And both sexes have to contribute together in order to make balance. And um, I think that's extremely valuable, uh, very, very valuable. And um, when they teach the home study course, it's a one-year home study course, uh, that is uh, demonstrated throughout every lesson and also it is also scientifically explained that you have to have um, both sides of the center
0: he used, I, he used I, the example of uh, salt sodium and chlorine chloro I'm, I'm not a chemist so i don't remember but uh... when they come together as a um, male female principle, that uh... Wow, salt is a cube and uh... it's amazing how um, sodium and uh, chloride could uh, actually attach themselves to other elements um, and become different substances, but when the opportunity presents itself to uh, come together as as sodium chloride, um, they will actually divorce themselves from the other elements and that's a very strong union, right?
1: Bind together, yes. I think it's fascinating, actually. Yeah, uh, they. Uh, I think it's very, very interesting how the the balance principle, of you know,
0: and Le- one Walter and Leo, the- Walter and Leo Russell as well. I mean, the story of Wal- uh, Walter and Leo Russell getting together was amazing. He was considerably older than her, and uh, my recollection you're going to fill in the blanks. I hope, but he. Um, but there was this book uh, the man who tapped the secrets of the universe and she read that book and she picked up the phone obtained his phone number somehow she was in some other part of the country called him and i forget the exact exchange of words but basically at the end of the conversation he was saying where are you i'll get on a train and go there right now right is that no. the way you remember it
1: I don't remember if he went on a train. I thought he had a car, but oh. I'm not sure. Okay. I know he said, I recognize something in your voice. Um, what the story goes that he knew when Leo was born, he was aware of her birth. And she was also aware that there was someone in America. She was born in England, and she knew there was someone in America that she would eventually be together with. And I think she was around the age of 20 when he was going through his extraordinary experience. I believe it was the 49-day enlightenment. And she wanted desperately to get over to the United States to be with him because she knew he was going through great difficulties. And she just wasn't able. The family didn't have money. She didn't have money. She couldn't leave her circumstances. And uh, through meditation was um I believe understood that she should wait, and um uh, I've forgotten uh, exactly what year they met now. I don't recall um but yes uh they when she called him, apparently in the, at that time in history, women never called a man that they didn't know uh they were uh, socially it was you must be introduced to a man, and um I believe she sat in the phone booth for half an hour before she could get enough courage to make a <laughs> phone call. And part of it was because she knew her life would never be the same, that she would be asked to work very, very hard. She knew. And when they talked to each other on the telephone, he recognized her voice right away and said, where are you? Mm-hmm. I'm coming to get you. Yeah. And um, and then things really changed. Dr. Russell's work was well known in some parts of society, but certainly not largely. And when Leo came to be with him together, they created the University of Science and Philosophy and um, rented a beautiful palace where they put Dr. Russell's uh, sculptures and some of his paintings on display and um, began creating their home study course and uh, publishing their books. And yeah. uh, those books started to go out to the whole world at that time.
0: Yes. I've been there myself in uh, Virginia. It's a very nice uh, place. I think you've been yeah. there too, haven't you? Yeah.
1: yeah, I've been there. The circum They are no longer in that building.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: Well, they couldn't afford it. Uh, they, the person who rented the building was charging far too much, and also he wasn't keeping the building in under repair. So they eventually, uh, it was very very difficult decision for them. But they couldn't they couldn't maintain the rent, so they had to pack up all the sculptures and move. Yeah. So the current the current president of the University of Science and Philosophy is in Ohio. I think he's in Akron, and. Um, I think they still own the house that's on the property where the the palace is. That was the summer house that uh, Leo and Walter would sometimes go and live there during the summer. They own that house. And I think they have some supplies there. And the other other than that, I think most stuff is in storage.
0: Yeah. So the, the notion of a genius, Walter Russell and Leo Russell both spoke about how uh, all... Well, uh, all inventions, beautiful music, uh, works of art, uh, works of engineering, all wonderful things that have basically come to uh, our world have come to us through genius and through, in the the case of uh, Mozart's uh, symphonies and uh, Beethoven's symphonies, and uh, basically these individuals heard these symphonies Um, in their heads and uh, actually wrote it down basically as they heard it and all inventions um, um, basically the inventions were obtained from the cosmos if you want from the universal one and uh, brought to the world the notion that all ideas Every idea always has been and always will be. It's just a matter of uh, a genius, someone who can tap into that, going in and finding out about it and bringing it to the world. Uh, and Walter and Leo Russell both talked about this. Well, Walter was and Leo were both geniuses in their own right. But um, the fact that all human beings uh, have that within them as well, and all they have to do is tap into that. What What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, that was one of the most wonderful ideas that I encountered in all of their work. I still love that idea. Uh, I've thought about it a great deal. And... Um, The purpose of their home study course was to, one of the big purposes of it, was to help people to be able to tap into the source of themselves, in other words, to to uncover their own genius. And Dr. Walter Russell has a wonderful article called Two-Way Thinking. He says that all people need to learn how to do two-way thinking. Most people in our society do only outward thinking. They don't do inward thinking. What he means by that is most people engage with the world through the senses. And, you know, some people engage with the world even with not only senses, but extra sensory perception. In other words, ESP, which is just a more subtle and more extensive kind of sensory perception. And um, he wanted people to understand that In order to conceive an idea, um, to get original ideas, or ideas that have never been discovered before, you could never do it through sensory perception. You had to do it inwardly through the God mind, in other words, the divine consciousness, and that all of us have access to that. Our education in, in North America, well, largely around the world, is very sensory and very outward looking and uh, we examine things through microscopes or telescopes and we record our observations and we reason things together and through that we've we've done a great deal in the world we've reasoned together many many things that are very useful and created things that are useful but if you want things that are very leading edge in other words never Heard before, never seen before, Um, you need to go into the inside mind. In other words, it's not sensory whatsoever. You have to learn to not pay attention to your senses. In other words, become still enough or in a meditative state, become still enough that you're not really paying attention to your senses. And in that quiet place, that deep inside quiet place, that's where new ideas and new creations are born. Um, in the home study course, they describe how to learn this style of meditation, which they call um, concentration and decentration. In other words, decentration means to allow all of your sense, senses to expand, your thinking to stop, to become as still as possible so that your body is not disturbing you in any way and then you change from decentation, decentration to concentration the concentration part is when you bring your creation to fruition
0: and every uh... sculpture that walter russell made every painting that he made every piece of music that he played he put basically god into it and as leo russell Always said, if you look at his sculptures, they live and they will, they're just amazing, aren't they?
1: They are amazing, yes. Um, apparently, if you look at a sculpture, he created the eyes in such a way that you can tell if the eyes are blue or brown. And it's just the way that he created the eyes that captured shadows. It's a very interesting thing, yeah. Um, there's no doubt, Walter. Was an enormous uh, genius. Um, in fact, um, they describe they describe the development of humans. Um, they do describe it in um, the Divine Iliad. There's, um, I believe, the book two of the Divine Iliad describes the stages of humanity. And apparently, the way that I understand it is, we all begin with simple consciousness. Um, much like what an ape would have or many animals. And as time goes on, in other words, millennia, uh, we start to become self-conscious. And we think in terms of ourselves, in comparison with others, we begin to cooperate, we begin to work together, um, we begin making sense out of our world and start um, using tools That would be stage two. And then the next stage would be the intuitive sense, uh, which is the very beginning of the genius state. In other words, we start to get a feeling for something. Um, We know that we're in danger or we feel that we should go here or go there or... Um, you know almost like divinely guided into something although we don't understand why we just have the feeling um, but as the intuitive sense develops in other words you pay less attention to the senses and you pay more attention to um, the, the deep consciousness that is within us um, we begin to have inner vision and inner hearing and inner vision means that uh, you see things With your eye that are not in front of you physically. Um, And it's not like imagination where you're actively um, using your will in order to um, imagine something. And this comes in a different way, in a much deeper sense, where the vision, you just, you are just uh, receptive and the visions come, or you are receptive and you hear the music or you're receptive, you see uh, a new design for a bridge. It's not just uh, just for the arts, it's also for the sciences. That is the stage that humanity is on the edge of, and it takes um, a long time for all of humanity to reach the genius stage. It will take probably, I don't know, thousands of years, perhaps even longer than thousands of years, but there have been a number of geniuses, and when the, the Russells talk about genius. They are not talking about Mensa, Um, Mensa students, or I don't know what you call a Mensa person, but a person with an extremely high IQ. Um, There's no doubt about the value of Mensa uh, people: um, eidetic memory and um, you know, very, very fast thinking and very, very clever people, people who can recite an entire encyclopedia back to you that is not what they mean by genius they mean going into um, the consciousness that is bigger than ourselves in other words not our outer consciousness but consciousness that is behind everything that pervades everything and inhabits everything and being able to tap into that divine consciousness and then bring it forward into the world so a lot of men's people don't ever invent something that's completely new uh they are contributors there's no doubt their cleverness and their abilities are very useful in the world um but a genius person brings something completely new that's the way i have understood it and it's now this time in history when there are, the Russell said, there are several thousand people on this earth at this time that are capable of becoming geniuses. It's just that none of our education points toward it. It doesn't educate people how Um, to reach this stage. And
0: the educational system that we have also is such that it uh, kind of beats the creativity out of the students. Rather than encouraging uh students to become more uh connected inwardly and uh uh producing things it's uh, uh I find that uh well myself I hated school immensely always and uh a lot of uh, uh creators uh in like i'm trying to think of some offhand that hated school actually Einstein himself didn't do very well in school and uh but i think the notion is that um the educational system is lacking an understanding of how to bring uh the better qualities out of the students would you agree to that
1: yeah education is largely memorizing
0: yeah human tape, yeah. human tape recorder stuff right yeah
1: yeah or reasoning things out yeah, yeah um amassing information is what most education is um a person is very lucky indeed if they're able to still be a creator after they go through the education system because uh in order to amass that much information and um you know, score well on tests and uh, be productive in terms of um
0: Yeah, what the, using what the world expects of us is um uh, academic credentials and uh, you find uh, backyard inventors and uh, people coming up with really great things that have never gone through the formal education now of, of course that's not excluding the fact that uh, a lot of very well educated people have done well also but um, I think it's we're... A, it's, going yeah, ahead. I
1: just wanted to say I don't want to put down <clears throat> Everything that's external, we need to live in both worlds. We need to live in the internal world and the outer world, and it's also very new. It's very difficult for people to tap into that inner world, partly because all of our education is external, and we get into that habit. Uh, we engage in the world in the world through external senses. You know, all of our almost all of our entertainment, and to learn how to go inward is very difficult for a lot of people, especially in today's world. Um, when we're we have to be so driven in order to manage, you know, to meet our obligations yeah. and to hold down a job and to look after our families, very very difficult indeed. And um, so it's not that I want to be terribly critical. The the Russells, uh, I think, in their home study course, um, that's one of the greatest things that they offer, aside from their new understanding of the science. Um, for people to realize that they can tap into that consciousness. And Mrs. Russell, actually Dr. Russell says it as well in The Divine Iliad, that um, it is the most difficult transition that a human being ever has to make on their entire journey throughout all of their lifetimes is to learn how to um, overcome the senses it's not that senses are bad of course you have to live through the senses when you're engaging externally in the world Uh, but to learn how to tap into um, the depths within ourselves or divine consciousness if you want to call it that um, it's very difficult transition to make and Walter Russell, in fact, even says you should spend every effort to try to to make this transition, and that even skills are not our secondary compared to learning how to make this transition, and that the skills will come later.
0: It's amazing, isn't it? Um, I want to thank you very much, Jane, for being with us. Uh, Any final remarks that you would... um, anything we missed? And Walter Russell's work was just amazing. It's a tremendous contribution to the world. There was um, a tremendous number of books that he wrote. There was the home study course. Um, Both of them gave lectures constantly. I know when Walter and Leo Russell were together and he was speaking, she would be in the audience signaling him to bring it down, bring it down, bring it down, knowing full well that the audience could not understand what he was saying because he was talking way over their heads. These are certainly amazing people. And, uh,
1: um, I want to say a couple of things. Um, I, I know that um, Leo's, Leo had an enlightenment herself, which she describes in the third edition, of the home study course. I don't believe it is in the fourth edition. And um, she, her job uh, was to bring the concept of balance in human relations. And uh, she wanted people to understand that in order to have peace in the world you know you do pay the consequences of breaking the law of balance. And um, so she talks a great deal throughout the whole home study course and a couple of her books about um, what happens to you if you don't obey the law of balance in fact um, Leo was a great scolder and um, I really liked Leo myself and felt so much from the love from her and her motherliness she genuinely cared about her students and uh, I think far more than people realized how much she cared about people Um, But she certainly would scold. She'd rather scold you than have you um, stay stuck in a bad pattern for a long, long time. She would scold you and straighten you out, Mm -hmm. um, just like any good mother would. Um, But Leo had a great contribution as well, and she understates it herself. Um, I think she felt that Walter's work was the most important work to get known. And the other thing I wanted to add was, Dr. Russell said that um, the reason that he, had, he was prepared for his great enlightenment of 49 days was because current-day science does not understand the danger of working with uranium the way that we are currently doing with present-day science. Yeah. And he said that it is imperative, um, even though the science is 10,000 years ahead of where people are today um... god gave him this great task to try and give this science to the world even though they were not ready because of the enormous danger of what we're doing by using nuclear power and um, it's very interesting to me that currently um, the russell work has sort of sunk into the background and people are not currently aware of it uh... mrs russell was very concerned when atomic suicide um, did not reach the people. Uh, Even though it was handed out to many important people around the world, people didn't take it seriously. And um, she received um, a divine moment. Um, In other words, she meditated deeply over this. And what she what she was she got a, re- a revelation a divine revelation from God that told her that when the weather patterns become so severe that people are terrified, that is when the science will come to the forefront. People will be desperate for an answer, and because of the dire uh, consequences of extreme weather patterns worldwide then the people will pay attention to the science.
0: Thank you very much, Jane, for being with us. I really appreciate that, and I hope our listeners appreciate it as well. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: I'd like to uh, finish this podcast by saying uh, you can get more information on the life of Walter Russell at the University of Science and Philosophy. Their website is www philosophy.org, and there are many uh, both Google videos and YouTube videos uh, relating to um, interview with Walt, with Leo Russell and various other people who talk about his work. And um, a little surfing of some of these videos would certainly um, add a lot to this um to the podcast, and people's knowledge about his life. And I encourage anyone to um, read some of his books, Atomic Suicide, Leo's books, uh, God Will Work With You But Not For You. Um, The Universal One is a book that Walter wrote, um, which is probably the main focus of his science, and he basically, he, the universal one, of course, is God, and how God creates everything, creates the entire universe. This book was, um, it's in reprint now, it's around $50, but it used to sell for thousands of dollars uh, years ago when the book was out of print. And uh, uh, it, it contains the sum total of Walter Russell's um, scientific explanation of God. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I, uh, I think we could have several podcasts on this subject, but uh, we'll end it here. Thank you for downloading this podcast. My name is Richard Rookcroft, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.